Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Grit and Glitter, a weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. My name is Harley R. Padgett. This week, my regular co-host, M. Fear, has lost her voice. While she goes out to search for it, I will be taking things solo this week for the fourth installment of our biography series, Living Legends. We launched the series back in April with a profile on Veda Scott. Since then, we've had two more installments looking at the lives and careers of Mercedes Martinez and Jazz. This week on the show, I'm diving in to the life and career of the Empress of the Knockouts, one of the greatest women wrestlers of the last 20 years. Her name is Gail Kim. Let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Gail Kim was born, Gail Kim, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, like me, on February 20th, like me. The difference being, Gail was born in 1977. I was born in 1985. It's not relevant to the story. Gail's of Korean descent. She grew up watching wrestling, loving people like British Bulldog, Tito Santana, Ricky Steamboat, and she's always been an athlete. I mean, in high school, she played volleyball, basketball, soccer, baseball, badminton. We're talking athlete, athlete here. She goes to the University of Toronto and majors in kinesiology. Then she transfers to Ryerson University and changes her major to nutrition. Again, athlete here. <laughs> this is pure 100% athlete. She does some brief modeling work early in her career, and then she ends up enrolling in Ron Hutchison's wrestling school in Toronto. She's impressed that at the time, his former students include Trish Stratus, Edge, Christian, and Hutchison will later go on record as saying that she picked up the moves and psychology as fast as any student he ever trained, male or female. So Gail debuts at the age of 23. It's December 2000. She's wrestling for a Toronto promotion Apocalypse Wrestling Federation. She's a heel because they think she's too pretty to be taken seriously. So they put her under a mask, they make her a luchadora character, and her name is the Queen of Cats, La Felina. So she's got like a cat-themed mask, and she wrestles like a luchadora. It's not really even clear what her ethnicity is underneath the mask. Her first match ever is a loss to Tracy Brooks. Now, La Felina spends 2001 exclusively wrestling Tracy Brooks, mostly for AWF in Toronto. They wrestle singles matches, they wrestle take matches, teaming with men. And this builds throughout 2001, this feud between La Felina and Tracy Brooks until November 2001, almost a year into her career. It's a big one. It is Lucha de Aspuestas, Mask 
versus hair. Lafalina puts up her mask. Tracy puts up her hair. Tracy wins. Lafalina unmasks. And we see just how pretty Kill Cam really is. She continues to use the name Lafalina, but she's resting on masks now, looking just like the Gail Kim we all know and love. It's May 2002 when Gail makes her American debut, wrestling for the Foxy Ladies of Wrestling in Ohio. She goes down to Ohio for her first time ever in America, and she wrestles two matches against Tra Tracy Brooks. That September, she goes to the World Extreme Wrestling in Connecticut and participates in the first annual Women's Elite Eight Tournament. Finally, for I swear the first time in her career after a year and a half, she gets to wrestle somebody different than Tracy. Here in World Extreme Wrestling, it's part of their Women's Elite Eight Tournament, she defeats Nikki Rocks and April Hunter in the first two rounds before losing to Tracy Brooks in the semifinals. <laughs> Tracy will go on to win the whole tournament, defeating Mercedes Martinez in the finals. Sometime around this point is when Gail meets and befriends Jason Sensation, and it's Jason who introduces Gail to WWE superstar Molly Holly. Molly loves what Gail's doing and encourages her to send some tapes to WWE. And there is footage online, I found this through Reddit, a training video. It looks like it maybe came from a local news broadcast at the time, but right around this period of La Felina still, a training video of Gail working with some men in the ring. She's doing arm drakes and she's doing high cross bodies and all sorts of really fast, lucid paced stuff, which blew the minds of the people who were seeing it in 2002, because you gotta remember, this is still really like peak divas era in WWE. TNA has only existed for about a year, ROH for a year. They don't have thriving women's divisions. We're not seeing the stuff that we're seeing from Gail on this video in women's wrestling in America at the time. Now, the person who posted this on Reddit, they say in the comments, this video made the rounds at the time of Gail signing, and people were stoked, convinced that she would be ushering a whole new level of women's wrestling in WWE. But they rushed her debut, they gave her the championship and no belt, and they kept hyping on commentary what an amazing aerial performer she is. She just couldn't live up to the hype. Gail quickly started botching spots, like her springboard arm drag, People started to rip on her. The fans started to be like, oh, she's overhyped. But what WWE didn't take into account was the fact that she, all these spots she's doing in this video, she's doing with male bases. The women in WWE just couldn't keep up with her. But that's jumping ahead a little bit. So Gail signs with WWE in October of 2002. And... Uh, again, con context to 2002, because it's so quickly that we forget. On Jim Ross's podcast in 2015, he says that he was really keen on WWE signing Gail, but Vince McMahon needed convincing. JR told Vince how good she was in the ring and, quote, a lot of guys like Asian women. Vince was like, what? No. JR's like, yes, there are countless porn sites dedicated strictly to Asian women that American men love. And Vince's exact quote was, no, get out. So that's, that, that's the context. That's 2002 for us. J.R. gets his wishes. Gail gets signed, despite Vince's bafflement that 
anybody would be attracted to anyone other than skinny, white, blonde women with large breasts. Gail gets signed. She's sent to WWE's developmental territory of the time, OVW. She spends eight months in OVW, and what is particularly unusual for this time period is that she wrestles not as Lafalina, not as some new made-up name by WWE creative, but she wrestles under the name Gail Kim. Nobody in WWE, especially in the women's division, is wrestling under their real name at the time. Even Trish Stratus is an amalgamation of her real name, Patricia Strategius. I could not find any good information as to why. She got away with wrestling as Gail Kim and everybody else got a new name. It's something I would love to have an answer to. So December 2002, Gail West was her first WWE match ever. It's at a house show in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, like 40 minutes from where she grew up. And it's Gail defeating Don Marie in a brawn panties match. They actually do a whole brawn panties circuit that week. Kim goes over Don in Hamilton in New York. Don goes over twice in Florida. It's 2003 now. 2003 kicks off and it's more of the same. Uh, Don is the one who loses her clothes in San Francisco and Alaska. Gail is the one who gets stripped down in Arkansas. Kim eventually gets to graduate to fully clothed take matches. She's teaming with Tori Wilson and taking on Don Marie and Nitty on house shows. This continues all through the spring and summer until June 9th, 2003 on Raw, we get the very first vignette for the forthcoming debut of Gail Kim. It's a Matrix inspired vignette. It's got this wacky CGI stuff going on. She's got black sunglasses, a black trench coat looking exactly like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. Honestly, even after she debuts, there's never really any more to it. They don't try to make it seem like she's from the Matrix or anything. It's just a look. It's simply an aesthetic and there's, it doesn't go any deeper than that. But these vignettes air for a couple of weeks and then June 30th, Kim makes her actual Raw debut. The WWE Women's Championship is on the line in a battle royal. So we actually mentioned this on our last episode of Living Legends when we were looking at the career of Jazz. Jazz was injured as champion and is forced to vacate the title. So they put together this battle royal to help cover the fact that she can't wrestle a full match properly and to find somebody new to put the strap on. Trish Stratus makes her entrance. We go to commercials. During the break, Molly Holly, Ivory, Jacqueline, and Victoria also come out to the ring. Out of the break, we get Gail Kim gets her full proper entrance for the first time. As I said, she's got the sunglasses, she's got the trench coat, she, her uh, actual ring gear is like black leather as well to really sell this Matrix look. And then the champion jazz is out last. It's also worth noting because context is key Pretty much every women's match in WWE at this time, whether it's on Raw or SmackDown or on pay-per-view, goes about two to four minutes. You look at the cage match listings for this period, and it's pitiful. On pay-per-view, they might get six or seven, if they're lucky. But pretty much every match is like two to four minutes long. Early on in the match, Kim gets to land a Hurricane Rana on Victoria, which looks really nice. Ivory's eliminated from the match. Uh, at one point, all of a sudden, we just see Jazz lying on the apron. We don't, nothing seemed to have happened to her, but she's just lying there hurt and she gets medically evacuated. That's how little she can wrestle at this point. So the champ is out, new champ guaranteed. 
Victoria eliminates Molly Holly, Victoria eliminates Jacqueline, and Gail is left to work against Victoria and Trish. Now she's wrestling both of them, which is interesting because at this point, she's debuted, these vignettes have been so vague about her, right? We don't know anything about the character of Gail Kim, so we don't know yet if she's going to be positioned as a heel or a face. All we know is that she wears black leather and looks cool. And she's wrestling both women, so it's not really clear. Now, Victoria catapults Kim into Trish, who's standing on the apron, and Trish gets bumped. She's out of the match, and it comes down to Victoria versus Gail Kim. One of them is going to be your new women's champion. Victoria's in her peak, crazy heel period at this time. She's hearing voices. She's rubbing her hair up. So Kale would seem to be the babyface by default. Sure enough, she hits an arm drag, which is only her second move for the entire match. She hits a nice arm drag, and then Victoria goes for a powerbomb, and Gail instead hurricanrana's her over the top rope and to the floor. And on her first night on Monday Night Raw, Gail Kim is the new WWF Women's Champion. So it's only down from here. Gail holds the title for about a month. That's about it. As our person on Reddit, I mentioned previously, kind of speculated, it seems like fans and maybe even people backstage, almost definitely people backstage, men backstage, turned on Gail pretty quickly when she didn't live up to the hype that they built up for her, which again, can't entirely be placed on her because she's wrestling different types of people now than she's used to. She's not wrestling the men that she trained with. She's not wrestling Tracy Brooks, who she has a well-established rapport with, and they know each other inside and out better than anybody. She's wrestling smaller women like Molly Holly and Ivory, and these are some of, no shade to these women, they're good. But for Gail to hit all of the aerial and high-flying offense that she is being billed as, she needs strong bases. She needs people who that she can really like act as that power for her. And outside of Victoria, it doesn't seem like there's really that person there. Jazz would have been a perfect option if she wasn't hurt. So very quickly, WWE seemingly panics and they take the title off Gale less than a month later. On July 28th on Raw, she drops the title to Molly. The next week, Gale turns heel. She turns on Trish and she all of a sudden becomes Molly Holly's sidekick, basically. Not even like her tape partner, like her sidekick. They spend about three months feuding with Trish and various friends. It's Molly and Kim versus Trish and Lita. Molly and Kim versus Trish and whomever is around at the time. Uh, actually, at Unforgiven, the pay-per-view in September, we get Gail Kim and Molly versus Trish and Lita as an example of what's going on this time. And it's in November of 2003, during a match against Trish, that Gail gets injured for the first time in her career. She fractures her right collarbone and she ruptures a breast implant. She is out of action for five months. It's a hard hit to her career so early on, less than a year after debuting. I mean, really five months after debuting. She's out of action for five months. But the women's division moves on without her as it is wont to do. And Gail finally returns. April 2004, Gail's back from injury. She partners up with Molly Holly right away again. But a significant change. After her injury, Gail moves away from the high-flying moveset that she's really known for into more of a submission-based moveset. 
And it gets over with the crowd pretty quickly. Because again, this is something that we're not seeing from the women's division. Some of these women might bust out a submission move once in a while, but they're not submission wrestlers. They're not, a, they're not There's no Dean Malenko in the women's division at this time. So Kim's new submission specialist character really starts to click and creative starts to roll with it. She actually picks up a handful of non-title wins over the new champion, Victoria, all on television. And this leads into a four-way at the next pay-per-view. June 2004, Bad Blood. Victoria defends the women's championship in a four-way against Gail Kim, Trish Stratus, and Lita. A lot of stuff has changed in the past couple of months that Kim was on the sidelines. Trish is full heel now. She has Tyson Tomko in her corner. She's out first. Kim is out second. She's still wearing the Matrix coat and sunglasses, but she's not wearing the black leather gear anymore. She actually has red and white gear. And we start this new trend of every time Gail wrestles a match, she seems to be billed from somewhere different. In her debut match, she was billed as being from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, or at least that's what Jim Ross says on commentary. In this match, she's billed as being from Korea. I don't know what it adds to anything, but that's what it is. The champion Victoria is out third and Lita is out last for whatever reason. I guess just because she's so popular as a babyface. Now, the way things have been playing out on TV, Kim's got this new moveset. She's picked up a couple of non-title wins over champion Victoria. She's getting a really good response from the crowd. It seems like we might see Gail walk out of this one as champion again. It seems like on paper, she seems to be the strongest contender to walk away with the gold here. Trish is in full heel mode. As I said, she bails to ringside earlier. Um, at one point, Lita has a bridging pin. Tyson Tomko pulls Lita off of the pin to stop it, which actually gets Tomko ejected. So you'd think, okay, now definitely things are on the side of the baby faces. With Tomko gone, Trish is all on her own. She has no shot at winning now. And this is, match is a really good example of submission specialist, Gail. We see her do a stretch muffler on Lita. We see her do a tilt-a-whirl into an octopus. We see her do a dragon sleeper. Like, this is wild for 2004 WWE women's wrestling, especially. A woman wrestler doing stretch mufflers and dragon sleepers and octopus holds on the same match. Nobody else is wrestling like this. In the end, though, Gail eats a DDT from Lita, and then Trish rolls up Lita from behind. Trish Stratus is your new champion. Trish Stratus is a five-time women's champion. Even without Tomko at ringside, she still managed to steal it. And with that, Gail's momentum in Korea really stutters again. This time not due to injury, just due to, I don't know, finicky tastes backstage. Maybe somebody in power just at the last minute decided, actually, you know what? Never mind. We don't want to give her the title. We don't want to go ahead with this push, even though the fans like her and she really stands out and she's different in the ring. You know, one could speculate, hey, the top guy at the end of the day who makes all the decisions is Vince, a guy who apparently doesn't think Asian women are attractive. The new champion instead was Trish Stratus, very conventionally white, blonde, beautiful. Is that a coincidence? Who's to say? That was June 2004, and Gail really only has a couple more months left at this point. 
It's October 31st, Halloween, in Champaign, Illinois. It's a house show, and it's her final WWE match. Just like her debut on television, it's another battle royal. And that's it. That's it. She debuted on TV June 2003, and by October 2004, she's done with the company. It's actually November 3rd, four days after that house show match, that Gail Kim, Jazz, and Nydia are all released on the same day. As we mentioned again on Jazz's episode of this series, they're all told that WWE is taking the women's division in a new direction. That new direction is uh, what will, I guess in hindsight, be called the Diva Search era. At this time that they're being released, the first Diva Search has just concluded. Christy Hemi has won a bunch of money, won a contract with the WWE, and they really move forward with this as the WWE women's division focus. This new era will see them deciding to, that they would rather hire models and try to teach them to wrestle rather than hiring wrestlers with experience. At the time Kim does an interview, she says overall she was dissatisfied with her time in WWE. She feels she lacked character development and storylines. And in an interview following her release, they ask her about dream matches now that she's gone from WWE or or just even in general with WWE wrestlers. What is her number one dream match? And her answer is a submission match against Chris Benoit. Again, they just just don't make him like Gale. There's no way anybody would have thought that that would be her answer when they asked about dream matches. (laughs) Following WWE, Gale goes back to the Indies along with her friend Nydia. And 2005 kicks off with them just wrestling, honestly, just all over the world. They do an NWA show in South Korea. Gail teams with Lollipop to take on Nydia and Melia Hosaka. Then they go to Mexico. Gail takes on Nydia one-on-one. Then they do a tour of Australia, where Gail and Nydia are on the opposite sides of matches every night. And on that tour, they actually do a mixed tag one night. Gail Cam and AJ Styles versus Nydia and Christopher Daniels. Maybe foreshadowing. Maybe this is how she made some connections or uh, got on some people's radar. It's hard to say. But June 2005, Gail signs with TNA. At the time, she has a lot of skepticism that things will be any better than they were in WWE. I mean, at this point, TNA doesn't even have a women's division. Honestly, they've had a couple of women here and there. They might have had one or two matches in their three-year history as a company. But they don't have a women's division. They don't have a women's championship. The only thing they do have, which maybe swayed her again, is they have her old rival, Tracy Brooks. Now, at the time, TNA promises Gail and Tracy that we'll give you a fair shot. We want to invest in women's wrestling. We just need to get this new TV contract figured out first. Because at the time, they don't have a weekly TV show. They had one. They had a show called Impact for one year. It ran on Fox Sportsnet. But then it was dropped in May, and it's June now, June 2005. They're in the midst of negotiating with Spike TV because Spike TV just lost Raw to the USA Network. So TNA executives promise Gail and Tracy, we want to invest in women's wrestling as soon as we get this TV contract figured out. They get it figured out. TNA gets a new home on Spike TV for their weekly show, TNA Impact. It premieres October 1st. 
2005 on Spike, and one week later on the second episode of TNA Impact on Spike, Gail Kim debuts. October 8th, 2005, Gail debuts attacking Team 3D, Bully Ray and Devon, and aligning with Planet Jarrett. This is Jeff Jarrett, James Storm, and Chris Harris. And going forward, Gail is now the new manager of Jarrett and America's Most Wanted, James Storm and Chris Harris. She's mostly the manager at ringside. She does get involved physically here and there. You know, she'll like take some shape shots behind the ref's back. She'll trip people when they run the ropes, things like that. But she's not wrestling. Despite what they said to her and Tracy, they got a TV contract. They got a weekly show now. She's still not wrestling. Months go by. She's still not wrestling. February 2006, Gail does an interview about this. She's been in TNA for four months now. She hasn't wrestled a single match. And she says in this interview, This topic frustrates me because I'm a wrestler. I love wrestling. It just seems like right now women's wrestling is at a standstill. TNA is great. I truly do believe they want to move in that direction. But right now there are only three girls. And right now we only have an hour programming. We have a lot of guys. I'll be patient. It takes another four and a half months, but eventually Gail's patience finally pays off. July 16th, 2006, the pay-per-view is Victory Road. It's Gail's first match for TNA. It's her first pay-per-view match for TNA. And it's a trios tag. Gail teams with America's Most Wanted to take on AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Serelda. From there, she spins off into two singles matches against Serelda. They wrestle once on TV, and then they wrestle again at the next pay-per-view, Hard Justice, and Gail goes over. Now, it's 2006, four years since she got her start. Things really haven't changed that much. These matches, these singles matches between the women are still only four minutes long. They're still not being given the opportunities, but she's at least wrestling proper matches, but she gets to make entrances, and there's a referee, and they ring a bell. It's better. And it, hey, she has her clothes on the whole match. So that's progress, I guess. Kim continues to manage America's Most Wanted through the fall of 2006, up until December 14th, when James Storm turns on Chris Harris, ending America's Most Wanted. Storm goes into the winter as a strong singles heel with Kim in his corner. But this only lasts about a month because January 2007, at final resolution, Storm picks up a win over Petey Williams. And then post-match, Gil Kim is attacked from behind by the pride of Tennessee, Miss Jackie Moore, formerly known as Jacqueline in the WWE. She's back in TNA for the first time in two years, and she's replacing Kim as James Storm's new manager. With this... Gail Kim is now babyface. And so she goes to Petey Williams and says, hey, if you want help beating the hell out of Storm and Jackie, I am your woman. Against all odds, the February pay-per-view, we get Gail and Petey teaming up against James and Jackie. March, we get them facing off again in a take team double bull rope match at Destination X. And then a month later, April 2007, the pay-per-view is locked down. Every single match takes place inside the Six Sides of Steel. 
and it's Gail Kim versus Miss Jackie Moore one-on-one in a steel cage match. This is huge. At this point in time in April 2007, WWE has maybe had two women's cage matches in history. That's it. And the first one was only a year or two prior to this. And it was on Raw and it was like three minutes long. So the fact that we're getting Gail and Jackie on pay-per-view in a steel cage match is huge. And this match will go down in the record books as essentially being, for all intents and purposes, the first knockouts match ever. There were women's matches in TNA prior to this. We had Kim versus Sorelda, like I said. We have, around this time, Christy Hemi and Roxy Laveau started feud, which will continue over the summer as well. But there's never been a women's division, per se. All those matches are just one-offs here and there. There's never been a women's division. There's never been a women's championship. And this Kim-Jackie feud, along with the Christy Hemi-Roxy Laveau feud, is officially the start of a women's division in TNA five years after they were founded as a company. And it will lead to the introduction of a championship title by the end of the summer. It's 2007, so we still got stuff like Jackie saying, this is none of your business, you no good slut. But other than that, it's a good match. It's it's brief, you know, it's eight minutes, but that's twice as long as a lot of these women's matches we've been seeing, like I said. And again, okay, so this time, Gail is billed as being from Tampa, Florida. What does it all mean? I don't know. Maybe she just moves a lot. She's been from Toronto, she's been from Korea, she's been from Tampa, Florida now. Jackie meets Gail on the ramp and they brawl around ringside before the bell even rings, before they even get in the ring. Uh, Gail gets thrown across the announce table. Jackie pours a bottle of water on her that she stole from a fan. They are throwing haymakers at ringside. It's very important that we know here. This is not a sexy cat fight. This is not that kind of heated match between them. They're not pulling each other's hair. They're not rolling around on the ground, riding on top of each other. They're pissed off at each other, and they're punching and kicking each other and throwing each other into the side of the cage. This is a fight. They get into the ring after two minutes of fighting at ringside. Gail hits a Hurricane Rana. She hits a springboard arm drag. Gail looks great here. Jackie holds her own. Miss Jackie Moore, at this point in her career, she's been wrestling 19 years. We forget this. Jackie made her in-ring debut 1988. Okay. That's unheard of. <laughs> she was wrestling at the same time as Wendy Richter and like Fabulous Movement was still active at the time that Jackie debuted. She's been wrestling 19 years and she's holding her own against Gail here in the ring. She throws Kim into the turnbuckle. She chokes her over the top rope. Gail hits a nice missile drop kick off the top rope. In the end, the doors open. Kim is about to escape the cage when Jackie grabs her from behind to stop her. Gail slams the door on Jackie's head. Jackie's down, and Gail can walk out the door and win the match, but she doesn't want to. They've been feuding for months. Jackie just started picking a fight with her and stole her client for no good reason. Walking out of the cage doesn't settle anything. Instead, Gail shuts the door herself, climbs to the top of the steel cage, and hits a huge high crossbody to pin Miss Jackie Moore in eight minutes. This is a great match. I, I This is a great match. I'll put the link to it in the notes for this episode. Check it out. It's a fun one for sure. 
and is the start of the knockouts division. These two women usher in women's wrestling for real, for good, to TNA. One month later on Weekly Impact, it's Gale versus Jackie in a street fight. Gale goes over and their feud is finally ended. Gale wins. She spends the summer moving into a feud with Tracy Brooks. It's always Tracy Brooks. It always comes back to Tracy Brooks. Um, we see Kim briefly teaming up with Eric Young to take on Tracy and Robert Roode. And her profile's on the rise. It's on the rise enough that that August of 2007, Forbes magazine puts out a list of America's most eligible bachelorettes. And Gail's on the list at number 32. One of America's most eligible bachelorettes. She ranks just ahead of Missy Elliott, Proje, Nicole Ray, and just behind essayist Christina Abt. Um, again, I, I know you. I know you need context for all this. It's 2007, right? Who are the top three on America's most eligible bachelorettes? Harley. The top three are Cameron Diaz, Ivanka Trump, and Google Vice President Mar- Marissa Mayer. I didn't have the time to, to look up to see uh, if these women are all married and happy now, if they're still eligible. I'm sorry, you have to do that research on your own. Cameron Diaz, Ivanka Trump, Marissa Mayer, most eligible bachelorettes in America in 2007 per Force magazine. October 2007, we have finally arrived at the Knockouts Championship. It is bound for glory, and we are having a 10-woman gauntlet match to crown the first Knockouts Champion. In order of elimination from the gauntlet match, Shelly Martinez, Tracy Brooks, Miss Jackie Moore, Christy Hemi, Awesome Kong, Angelina Love, Velvet Sky, and ODB. When the dust settles, the only two left in the finals are Gail Kim and Roxy Laveau. And Gail Kim defeats Roxy to become the first Knockouts champion. Many years later, Gail would say, I would never take back winning the WWE Women's title for a moment, but winning the TNA Knockouts title meant a whole lot more to me. Winning the WWE Women's title was history making, and I'm very grateful. But when you're a part of building something like I was with the Knockouts division, and you finally reach the pinnacle of winning the belt that represents that division, it meant more. Myself and every knockout in the company at the beginning worked so hard to build up a credible women's division in TNA, so finally holding that title meant so much to me. That was October 2007 when Gail becomes the first knockouts champion, and it's December 2007 when we kick off the legendary feud with Awesome Kong. December 2nd, 2007, at Turning Point, is their very first singles match. Kim versus Kong for the title. Kim retains, but only because Awesome Kong gets disqualified. So the solution, naturally, this is great wrestling storytelling. Come on. One month later, at the next pay-per-view, January 2008, final resolution, we run it back. Kim versus Kong, no disqualification. It's the rematch at an 8.1 rating on cage match. This is the highest rated match for both of these women. 
Wrestling Observer Newsletter gave it three and a half stars. This one is available on Impact's official YouTube page because thankfully they realize new generations need to see this match to come. And yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen it, you've heard of it. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it as soon as you're done listening to this podcast or now, pause this, listen to this podcast later, tomorrow, whatever. If you have seen it, you don't need me to tell you. It holds up. 15, 14 years later, it is just as good as it ever was. Kim poses on the apron before the match. Kong jumps her from behind. Kong immediately wants to hit an awesome bomb through the announce table, but Kim manages to avoid it. And for the first seven minutes, it's all Kong. She's dominating. Kim's a rag doll in her arms. She beats her around the ring. She beats her in the ring, through the ring, out the other side. She grabs Kim by the legs and swings her head first into the guardrail. She grabs Gail by the hair and throws her into the crowd. And she goes after her. They brawl through the lower level. They brawl into the upper deck, up the stairs, through the bleachers, through the fans. Kim tries fighting back. She can't do it. Kong's in charge. It's only seven minutes into the match. They've barely even been in the ring at this point. But seven minutes in this match, Kim finally gains a bit of an edge. Kong charges. Kim manages to dodge. Kong has to stop herself short from running headfirst into a brick wall. Gilbert gets some kicks in. They go back to ringside. She manages to shove Awesome Kong shoulder first into the ring post. And it's eight minutes into the match when Kong grabs a steel chair. Again, this is a no disqualification match. Yeah, they brawl through the crowd, but they managed to go eight minutes just on the strength of the two of them. No weapons, no nothing. A steel chair is introduced, but it's quickly dispatched as well. And they go back to wrestling. Kim goes for a high cross body from the top rope to the floor. Kong catches her. Kong goes for another awesome bomb. Kim avoids it again. That's twice now. And it's only 10 minutes into the match that we even get our first pinfall attempt. We've got 10 minutes without even either woman trying for a pin. 10 minutes in, Kong goes for a pinfall. Kim kicks out. Kong isn't happy about this. So she takes her frustrations out by hitting an awesome bomb on the referee instead. <laughs> it's no disqualification. What are they going to do? Referee's down. Kong goes to get the chair. She brings the chair in the ring. And she hits the ref with the chair. She's not happy that he counted that as a two instead of a three. She's really not not impressed. <laughs> she hits the ref once. She goes to hit him again. Kim manages to grab it from behind. Kim hits Kong with three chair shots. Yes, two of them are unprotected chair shots to the head. It's 2008. We didn't know better. Kim hits Kong with three chair shots. And Kong goes off her feet for the first time. Kim hits a top rope frog splash. But there's no referee to count it. Okay, fine. Here's one. There, finally. A new referee runs down the ring. He runs down. He slides in. He counts one, two. Kong kicks out. Kong hits a choke slam. Kim kicks out. Again, 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 Kong is like glaring at this referee. Like, did you not learn from the other ref? The other ref's still lying dead in the corner right there. You saw right just to him when he counted two. You just counted two. What are you thinking? So she grabs this ref and she sets him up for an awesome bomb as well. She lifts him up over her shoulders. She's about to hit it. Gail grabs Kong from behind. Schoolgirl. One, two, three, that's it. That's the ballgame, folks. Gail Kim, still, knockouts champion in 12 minutes and 46 seconds. It's a long one. It's a good one. 
At first, I was maybe a little dissatisfied with the finish. Like, oh, that's it? Just like a schoolgirl out of nowhere? But in retrospect, no, this is perfect. Because A, this isn't the end of the feud. The feud really just started a month ago. And we see this post-match. Post-match, like, neither woman is knocked out cold. They're both still, like, well on their feet. They're quickly back on their feet, and they're brawling again until security manages to separate them. The beauty of this is Kim doesn't slay the monster. Kong doesn't lose really anything in defeat. She got she lost because she was distracted. She was too focused on beating up the referees instead of beating up her opponent. Kong just was outsmarted, that's all. Kim used her brains and she managed to overcome today. But that doesn't bode well for tomorrow or bode well for anything. That doesn't say anything about the future. It's just on this day, Kim got smart and used her smarts to overcome the brawn and the size difference that she had. The other thing that is beautiful about this match is it was a no disqualification 13 minute match and we had one weapon. We had a steel chair used twice and we had a brawl through the crowd and that's it. They didn't feel the need to, oh, it's a no disqualification match so we have to have tables and ladders and a garbage can and a kendo stick. No, they felt like the storytelling for this match is strong enough on its own. We don't need all those bells and whistles. The two ref bumps or the one ref bump really and the steel chair is enough. And history tells them they were right. Because as I said, this is the highest rated match either woman has ever had per cage match. Four nights after the pay-per-view, they main event Impact for the first time ever. This is the first time women have ever main evented an episode of Impact. It's another rematch. Gail Kim versus Awesome Kong for the title, January 2008. And Awesome Kong wins. She wins the championship. She gives Kim a concussion after Kim takes three power bombs in a row. But it's not a clean victory for Kong by any means. Kong wins because she has some help from a new masked woman named Raisha Saeed. Uh, yes, Raisha Saeed is um, meant to be a Muslim woman in a, in a burqa. Yes, she is not Arabic by any means. It's very white cheerleader Melissa, independent wrestling standout. This is also it's problematic. We just have to accept this for now and move on. January 2008, Gail's voted 2007 Knockout of the Year. Destination X that March, Kong retains the title in a three-way against Kim and ODB. Lockdown a month later, Kim and ODB team up to take on Kong and Raisha Saeed inside the steel cage. And then a month later, at Sacrifice, the May pay-per-view, Kim wins a battle royal to once again become number one contender. This match will not take place at the next pay-per-view. This one, she's not waiting. It's May 15th, 2008 on Impact Television. Kong with Raisha Saeed in her corner defending against Gail Kim. This is Gail's second highest rated match on cage match at 8.0. It's not no disqualification this time, it's a straight up wrestling match. But again, the skill of these two women is such that it's just a completely different story and still just as great of a match. Last one, as I said, started with like seven minutes of Gail on the defense, just getting beat by Kong. This one, even before the bell rings, Gail's on offense. 
She's jumping at Kong. She's hitting her with strikes. She's not letting up. Kong manages to block a Hurricane Rana, but Kim manages to counter an awesome bomb into a victory roll and gets an early two count. That's not great for Kong's mental psyche going into this one, her confidence. Raisha Sayid does get involved early. She trips Kim as she's running the ropes, and this brings out ODB, who's happy to be in Kim's corner. We go to commercials, we come back from commercials, and actually the entirety of the Knockouts division has made their way down to ringside now to really sell how invested they all are in the winning of this one. They all want to see who's going to walk away as champion at the end of this heated feud. Gail goes for an armbar, but Kong powers her off the match, off the mat. Kong hits a camel clutch. Kong hits an implant buster, but Kim kicks out. Kong goes for a second rope splash. Kim moves. Kim hits a number of clotheslines, but Kong won't go down. Kim hits a code breaker. Kong still won't go down. Kim comes running off the ropes. Spear. And Kong is down. But she kicks out of two. Gail hits a blockbuster. Kong kicks out again. Gail hits a top rope sent on. Kong kicks out again. What does she have to do to put away the champ? Raisha Saeed climbs on the apron. ODB yanks her off the apron and beats the hell out of her at ringside. A whole melee breaks out at ringside, actually. All the baby faces and the heels are now scrambling at ringside. It's an impromptu lumberjill match. In the confusion, the referee's attention wanes. Gail goes to the top rope, and Angelina Love shoves her off the top rope. Gail lands hard. Hurts her knee, and Kong pounces. Awesome bomb. The champ retains in 7 minutes and 43 seconds. Awesome Kong, still your knockouts champion. Now, Kong and Kim will meet one more time. August 21st on Impact, they'll face off in a street fight. Kong goes over again in Gale's final TNA match. You see, this feud with Kong was so popular and so beloved and raised both of their profiles so much that inevitably, WWE came calling. Kim's contract was set to expire as is, and so she chooses to try to go back to WWE. Later, she'll say, I really was optimistic. At that time, it was past the diva search and all that stuff, and they were starting to have the women wrestle again. I was like, okay, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, I have more experience under my belt. I'd done the stuff with Awesome Kong, so it did build more confidence. They'd seen what I'd done in TNA, that's why they hired me back. So I would think a logical thing would be to use you to your best ability and what you know is great about that person, about the talents that that person had. But I never felt like that was happening. 2008, Gail ranks third. On the very first edition of the PWI Female 50, she is third place behind only Beth Phoenix and the number one pick, Awesome Kong. March 2009, Kim re-debuts for WWE. It's SmackDown, Maurice versus Michelle McCool for the Divas title, and Gail shows up and attacks both women. Three nights later on Raw, she wrestles her first match back with WWE, and it is an 18-woman tag match. That's right. Nine versus nine tag match on Raw. And you better believe it only went four minutes. A couple days later, like a week later, it's WrestleMania 25. Kim is on the card. 
competing in a 25-person Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal. It's Gail, 23 other women, and the person who would eventually win the match in six minutes. Santino Morella in drag as his sister, Santina Morella. Uh, the night after WrestleMania on Raw, Kim wrestles again in a 10-woman tag match. This is this is it. This is like 18-woman tag match, 25-person battle royal, 10-woman tag match. This is her reintroduction to WWE. Coming off of this awesome Kong feud, coming off of her being the first knockouts champion, coming off of her being ranked number third on the PWI Female 50. The only woman in WWE ranked higher than her on the Female 50 is Beth Phoenix at this point. Beth's not wrestling. This nonsense. It's April 10th, 2009 on SmackDown. Gail finally gets to wrestle singles match. She picks up a win over Michelle McCool. A week later on SmackDown, she picks up a win over Divas champion Maurice in non-title action, earning a title shot the following week when Maurice defeats Gail Kim to retain the title. And that's it. That's it. She gets... You know, she has a non-title win one week, she loses in the title match the next week, and then two months pass, nothing happens. June, she's traded to Raw as part of a 15 superstar interbrand trade facilitated by temporary WWE general manager or owner Donald Trump. I don't don't ask me. This is a this is a bleak, bleak period for wrestling, especially women's wrestling in WWE. So she's on Raw now. Hooray. Maybe things will be different here. August 2009 on Raw. It's a four-way match to become number one contender to the Divas title. Gail versus Beth Phoenix versus Kelly Kelly versus Alicia Fox. Gail picks up the win. She's number one contender to the Divas title. Are things turning around? No. She gets her title match a week later against Mickey James. Mickey wins. See ya. Two months pass. Um, at Bragging Rights, the October pay-per-view, Kim is part of a six-woman tag. At Survivor Series in the November pay-per-view, she's part of a ten-woman tag. Again, it's just, these matches don't matter. There's one women's match on the card, and they just shove as many women to that match as they can. Nobody gets over. Nobody accomplishes anything. These matches aren't memorable. It's just, it's, it's just treading water. Just doing the same thing over and over again. 2010 kicks off with a tournament to crown a new Divas champion. Melina was champion, but she's injured. So we're going to have a new tournament to crown a new champion. Gail manages to defeat Jillian Hall and Alicia Fox to make it to the finals. So again, we are... It's understandable if we think this is leading somewhere. But we just had her win a title shot against Maurice and lose the week later. Win a title shot against Mickey James, lose a week later. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me four times, shame on us and Gail for thinking things would be any different this time around. Gail makes it to the finals of the tournament, but loses to Maurice in two minutes and 50 seconds. Maurice is your new Divas champion. A month later, it's WrestleMania 26, and Kim is on the card again in a 10-woman tag. None of these matches are on our watch list for this episode because none of these matches are any good or important or meaningful, and none of them showcase the Gail Kim that she could be. In fact, for the remainder of 2010, she does nothing 
Like nothing of any consequence, honestly. She's here and there. She's in four ways. She's in three ways. She's in 10 woman tags and none of it matters. And she has no storylines and no personality and no character. She's just a body. And at this point, you start to wonder if did they sign her because they wanted her on the roster and they knew how good she was or did they just sign her so TNA couldn't have her? But who am I to speculate? It's late 2010 and Gail's been doing nothing for a year and a half since we signed with WWE. In fact, she walks in to work one day and she decides, I'm going to quit. They don't, they have nothing for me. They don't want me here. I don't want to be here. So she shows up at the arena ready to quit. And that day they actually, how did they know? I don't know. They actually pitch her a storyline for the first time ever. They say, hey, we got a new storyline for you. You get to be somebody's secret girlfriend. Huh? What do you think of that? That's, mm, 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 you intrigued? Okay, let's go with it. January 24th. January 24th, 2011 on Raw. Since November, Daniel Bryan has been managed by the Bella Twins. They've been co-managing him, but also like bickering among themselves. They both apparently, I guess, have the hots for him. And they've also made a secret bet with each other about which one of them, Nikki or Brie, um, can take Daniel Bryan's virginity first. I'm, I swear, I swear I'm not making this up. I swear to you. This is this is what happened. Nikki and Brie are convinced Daniel Bryan is still a virgin. One of them wants to take his virginity first. And they've been bickering about it and they've been like trying to get closer to him and it hasn't been happening. They haven't been able to get like that close to him or like make that next leap. I don't know why. Until January 24th, 2011 on Raw, when they go backstage and they find him in the locker room making out with Gail Kim. Did they, you know, were they maybe like training together, working on their submission moves and uh, they got a little too cozy? I don't know. But see, Vince, some guys do think Asian women are attractive. Now, it turns out that there's a misunderstanding. You see, Brie and Nikki, they're not the sharpest bulbs in the box. Daniel Bryan's not a virgin. He's a vegan. That's a different thing. Come on. So Brian says, yes, um, actually, Gail and I have been quietly dating for like six months. I didn't want to tell you. I'm, I'm sorry. We're just trying to keep it quiet. We know what the, what the WWE is like. You know, you, you go public with this sort of thing, all of a sudden... It's all the wrong sort of attention on you. Gail says something to them, which sounds heelish. She says that Brian's only been hanging out with them because he felt sorry for them. But it's not meant to be heelish. She actually says it in a way where she's like trying to really break it to them gently and really like trying to be nice about like, look, like Brian was just like worried, like worried about you guys. Your main cause in WWE, your main purpose was to be arm candy for the raw guest host during the raw guest host era. The raw guest host era is over. Now you guys have nothing to do. So Brian was just kind of like letting you hang out with him because he like felt sorry for you. They say, well, what, what? we don't even care what you think, Gail. You're just an afterthought. And that saw me crap. So Gail slaps one of them. I don't know which. And uh, they have a cat fight. Referees come. They drag the Bellas off. And we have a new status quo now. The Bellas are heels. Gail Kim and Daniel Bryan are babyfaces. They're dating. She's managing Brian. This is what 
this is the story that they pitched to Gail to keep her from quitting. They didn't even know that she was going to quit, but they pitched the story and it was enough for her to be like, okay, at least it's something. I can find a way to make it work. I'll sink my teeth into it. Daniel Bryan, great wrestler. Why wouldn't I want to at least, you know, be affiliated with him on TV? It can't hurt. Apparently, all of this started because USA Network wasn't a fan of the Bellas fighting over Bryan for whatever reason. So the WWE writers said, hey, we should have a third party introduced. That would be a solution to this angle. The other potential girlfriends for Brian, believe it or not, and I don't know if I do, but believe it or not, were Sarah Del Rey and Awesome Kong. But of the three potential candidates, Gail Kim was already under contract. Kong and Del Rey were not, so they decided to just go with Gail Kim rather than sign somebody new. So we've got this story, we've got this new partnership, Gail and Brian are dating, hooray, this can maybe do something. No. Just like when she won the title, no. It lasts a couple of weeks and then she's just abruptly dropped with no conclusion. And they are no next step for her either. That's it. Gail's just back to doing nothing. Nothing meaningful. John Laurinaitis comes to her. He says, uh, you could be a trainer in developmental. I can send you to FCW. You could train uh, the new women there if you want. But Gail's not interested in wrapping up her interviewing career yet. She's only been wrestling nine years. And she knows that she can still go. She knows she can still wrestle if there are people who would let her wrestle. So she turns him down. The best they come up with is spring 2011. They do a little feud with Melina. Melina accuses her of being a bad friend. And they, and they feud. They have matches on the D show, Superstars. Not even the B show, the C show. Like the D show. Nobody watches Superstars. Come on. So we head into the summer of 2011. It's August 1st, 2011 on Raw. And it is once again another women's battle royal. Backstage, Kim has been told by the producers, get eliminated in the first minute. That's it. That's all they have for her. They don't have, they don't care how, they don't care why, it doesn't matter. It's not about her. All they say is you're gonna be in this match, and sometime in the first minute, get yourself eliminated. So she says, okay. You want me to get eliminated in the first minute? Sure. On live TV, in the first minute of the match, she throws herself over the top rope and walks backstage. You can imagine what responses like backstage, right? They'd be people are gonna be pissed on live television. What is she thinking? Who does she think she is? She walks backstage. Nobody even noticed. She goes up to Laurenitis and she says, "What'd you think about the match?" He's la he laughs. He's like, "Yeah, I, yeah, I heard it was pretty shit." She says, "Did you notice that I eliminated myself?" He laughs again. She later says, if it had been one of the men who had eliminated themselves, they would have been punished. But because it was the women, nobody cared. Not even after I told them. So she says to Laurinaitis, I quit. I don't want your money. And he says, okay, shouldn't be a problem. But it's WWE, so of course it is, right? They don't want to use her, but they don't want to let her go either. Why should they do that? So instead, they make her sit out the remainder of her contract. During her two and a half years back in the WWE, she didn't wrestle a single one-on-one -on -one match on pay-per-view. She barely wrestled any single one-on-one -on -one matches on Raw or SmackDown, honestly. She did nothing for two and a half years. And now they're making her sit out her contract too, and it's finally in September, almost two months after this battle royal, 
that her contract runs out and she is finally free. One month later, she's back in TNA. October 20th, 2011 on Impact, Kim redebuts attacking Knockouts champion Velvet Sky and aligning herself with Madison Rain and Karen Jarrett. Makes sense. First time she debuted for TNA, she is lined with Jeff Jarrett. Now she's lining with his uh, husband, his wife. Gail's back in TNA, and for the first time in six years, she's a heel. One week after she returns, Karen Jarrett, who is an authority figure at this time, names Kim as the new number one contender to the Knockouts title, and Kim picks up a win over Tara. One week after that, Kim teams with Madison Rain to capture the Knockouts take titles from Tara and Brooke Tessmacher. One week after that on Impact, Kim and Madison Rain defend the take title successfully over Velvet Sky and Mickey James. And three days later on pay-per-view at Turning Point, Kim defeats Velvet Sky to become Knockouts champion. Less than a month after returning to the company, she is both Knockouts singles champion and Knockouts take team champion. It's her second reign as Knockouts champ. And she's now only the second woman in history to hold both the singles title and the take title at the same time. The only other woman to do so is her take team champion partner, Madison Rain. A month later at Final Resolution, Gail successfully retains her Knockouts title against Mickey James. And two months later, at Against All Odds, it's Gail with Madison in her corner defending the title against Tara. Once again, Gail's back to being built from Toronto. And it's not really clear why, but there's tension between the take champs. Gail and Madison have been bickering about something. We don't really know what. On commentary, Mike Tenay tells the story that Madison has been very instrumental in Kim retaining the singles title. And they play up uh, Kim's arrogance. They talk about this celebrity chef guy she's been dating. This one is a nice change of pace, obviously. <laughs> obviously, it goes without saying from what she's been doing in WWE for the past two years. But even from the Awesome Kong matches too, because those ones were ostensibly Gail fighting an uphill battle against this monster. Tara is much more of a similar physique to her. It's more of like an even playing field. Early on in the match, for something happens. It's not really really clear what, but Madison Rain yells something at Gail and she walks out on her partner. But Gail perseveres. She hits her patented Hurricane Rana into the octopus hold. Tara makes the rope break. Tara hits a side slam. Gail kicks out. Tara goes to the top rope and hits a top rope moonsault successfully, but it exacerbates an existing knee injury that she has at the same time, and that's enough for the submission specialist. Gail pounces on the knee injury. Gail hits eat defeat, and the champ retains in 6 minutes and 46 seconds. Four nights later on Weekly Impact, it's a battle royal to crown the new number one contender to Gail's singles title, and it is her tag team partner, one half of the, take, the knockouts champions, Madison Rain, winning the battle royal to become number one contender to her partner's title. A couple weeks later, this can they coexist storyline bubbles over to negative consequences causing Gail and Madison to lose the Knockouts take titles to the team of ODB, 
and Eric Young. And as a result of Eric Young winning the knockouts title, the take titles are vacated and retired. Good work, everybody. Victory Road is the March 2012 pay-per-view. It's Madison Rain getting her title shot against Gale. They are no longer the knockouts take champions. They're no longer take partners. This one's heated, but Gale retains. Clean. And a week and a half later on Impact, they reconcile. This never happens in wrestling. You never have the team break up, feud with each other, and then realize, you know what? We're better off together and getting back together. But they did. They reconciled, they get back together, and they stay together as a team. That May of 2012, Gail gets married to celebrity chef Robert Irvine. They actually met on the set of his television show, Dinner Impossible, after he is hired to serve a bunch of VIPs at WWE SummerSlam. They meet there. They've been dating for years. They live in Tampa, Florida. She says on the record that she does not miss Canadian winters. And they get married in May of 2012. Their wedding actually is documented on an episode of his other show, Restaurant Impossible, that August. May 2012, Gail breaks Madison Reign's record to become the longest reigning Knockouts champion before losing the title to Brooke Tessmacher that June at anniversary. That's about it for 2012. She gets married. She spends some time off after dropping the title to Brooke, takes some time off television to, you know, just live her light honeymoon, enjoy her new marriage. But it's worth noting Gail's PWI rankings. So as I mentioned earlier, in 2008, the very first installment of the Female 50, she ranked number third during her time in TNA. Then she went to WWE for three years where she fell to 13, 13, and 26 during that terrible last year in WWE. She returns to TNA this year and she climbs to number one on the PWI Women's 50. Gail will remain in the top 10 every year for the next four years until her final placement in 2016. 2013 kicks off. Gail returns to TNA. She doesn't do anything like too significant, nothing real big for the storylines. It's time to let some other women run with the ball for a while. She's in a five-woman gauntlet match. She's in a four-way title match. She has a little feud with referee Taryn Terrell, which leads to Taryn uh, actually facing him in a last-woman standing match at Slammiversary 2013. Then Gail has a little feud with ODB. Uh, they face off. They have a two-out-of-three falls match on Impact Television that August, which features Kim tapping out for the first time in her career. And then that October, at Bound for Glory, the biggest pay-per-view of the year, it is Brooke Tessmacher defending the Knockouts title against Gale and ODB in a three-way. And Gale wins the title for a third time, thanks to help from her new partner, Leigh DeTapa. New champ Gale goes on. She defends a couple of times against ODB. And everything seems hunky-dory until she's faced with the return of Madison Rain. January 2014 at Genesis, Madison Rain defeats Gale to capture the Knockouts title. And they continue to feud. Kim wins uh, a match over a non-title match over Madison in a street fight. Madison beats her in a steel cage match. And by March, Gale and her partner, Leda Tap, have already turned on each other. So that partnership is long gone. 
April 2014, there are no bridges burnt that cannot be rebuilt in professional wrestling. April 2014, Madison Rain is being attacked by Angelina Love in Velvet Sky when Gail Kim makes the save, turning babyface for the first time in years. As a result of this, Kim starts pursuing Angelina Love for the Knockouts Championship. June Slammiversary, Love manages to retain over Kim. But July, on television, Gail beats Angelina to win the Knockouts title for a fourth time. She continues to feud with the beautiful people. She picks up a win over Love in a last woman standing match at Hardcore Justice that August. And then she moves into a new feud with old rival, Taryn Terrell. This time roles are reversed. Taryn is not a referee anymore, and she ain't a babyface anymore. Taryn has a new stable called the Dollhouse. It's her, it's Marty Bell, and it's Mia Yim. That September on Impact, Gail manages to retain the title over Taryn, but after the match, they're both attacked by the debuting Jessica Havoc. And less than a month later, Jessica Havoc defeats Gail Kim to win the Knockouts title. Not much for Gail over the spring, over the winter and the spring of 2015 until May of 2015, when again, as I said, Old Bridges, Gail aligns with Awesome Kong to feud with the Dollhouse. This is a big one. The legendary Kim Kong rivalry still fresh in everybody's mind. Now we get to see both women on the same page working against this heel trio. But unfortunately, we only get a month of the feud before Gail injures her arm and has to take time off. Heartbreaking. What could have been? So Gil misses that whole summer of 2015, which could have been a really formative one for some storylines there, unfortunately. But she's back by the fall in that September on Impact Television. It's a four-way match for the title. Brooke Tessmacher, Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, Leda Tapa, and Gail Kim once again wins the Knockouts title for fifth time. At Bound for Glory, we get the long-awaited rematch, Kim versus Kong. Kim wins clean to retain the title. Heading in to an interesting time for TNA because the men's world championship has been vacated. And so October 2015, we launched the TNA World Title Series. Matt Hardy was the champ. He's been forced to vacate the title because EC3 has filed a legal injunction against him. As a result, TNA announced a 32 wrestler tournament to crown a new TNA World Champion. First, we have 32 wrestlers in eight blocks wrestling in a round-robin tournament. The top 16 scoring people, the top two in each block, will advance to a 16-person single elimination tournament. For the first time ever, women have the opportunity to challenge for the men's world title. The eight blocks are champions, TNA originals, team specialists, X Division UK, wildcard, future four, and knockouts. So, okay, 32 people in the tournament, there's only four women in the tournament, they get one block. But it's something. It's more than they've ever had in the past. In the knockouts block, it's Gail Kim, Awesome Colin, Madison Rain, and Brooke Tessmacher. A win gets you three points, a draw gets you one. The top two people in each group advance to the next round. Gail loses to Brooke. 
but defeats Kong and Madison to earn six points. Kong loses to Kim, but beats Brooke and Rain to also earn six points. Gale and Awesome Kong advance to the next round, a single elimination tournament. And this is where things go off the rails. Uh, awesome Kong loses to Jesse Godders in three minutes and 27 seconds and is bounced from the tournament. Will Gale fare any better? We find out on the December 2nd, 2015 impact. It's Knockouts champion Gail Kim versus X Division champion Tigra Uno. The winner of this match will face either Eric Young or Kenny King in the next round. Commentary points out that Tigra Uno is from Mexico. Intergender wrestling is huge in Mexico. Men wrestle women all the time. This is nothing new to him. He also, on commentary, really puts over the fact that all the guys in the locker room really respect the hell out of Gale. So they're not going to shortchange her. They're not going to whatever. And that's the, what's really refreshing about this match is that they play it straight. There's not even one moment where Tigra Uno hesitates about touching a woman or hitting a woman or you know, puts his arm around her waist and is like, ooh, this is sexy or anything. Nothing. It's just a straight one-on-one wrestling match between two professionals. And that's really refreshing to see in 2015 from TNA. And this is just a Lucha Libre match. It's the return of La Felina in a lot of ways. We get uh, Hurricane Manas. We get Uno hitting a slingshot splash from the ring to, Kim, to Gail Cam at ringside. We get Gail jumping off the top rope for top rope Hurricane Rana. Gail hits a shotgun drop kick. She locks him around the ring post with a figure four. It's a pretty good match. With a little bit of a flat finish, Kim goes to eat defeat and he just kind of like falls back on her and hooks her legs for the pin. Five minutes and 35 seconds, Tigra Uno advances to the next round. That's what's the most disappointing about this, I guess, is it's cool that, hey, you had these women in this tournament, but then no women make it to the final eight. The two women are both eliminated in the first round of the 16-person tournaments. The only consolation here is that at least... Knockouts champion Gail Kim lost to another champion. She lost to the X Division champion. She didn't lose to like some nobody scrub, like Kong losing to Jesse Godders. It's the best we can hope for, I guess. 2016 kicks off with Kim versus Kong on Impact Television. Kim retains the Knockouts title again. That May, we count a new champion when Mia Yim beats Gail and Madison Reed in a three way. Gail spends the summer of 2016 feuding with Maria, feuding with Alice and Kay. Little stuff here and there. At this point in her career, she's really about putting over and building up the other women on the roster, really making other women more than like, focus always needs to be on me. And presumably it's because her career is probably coming to an end soon. I mean, that June of 2016, they announced that Gail is going to be the 2016 inductee into the TNA Hall of Fame. They only induct one person a year. And Gail is only going to be the seventh person in history to be inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame behind Sting, Kurt Angle, Team 3D, Jeff Jarden, or Hodner. In fact, to this date, in November 2022, the only other woman to be inducted in the Hall of Fame is Awesome Kong. They're the only women who have been inducted since. That ceremony takes place October 2016 at Bound for Glory. Christy Hemi hosts. She credits Kim for building the Knockouts division, for fighting for every woman in the locker room. 
She brings out Taryn Terrell for the first time in years. She's very pregnant. She talks a little and says that Kim, in her opinion, is the greatest female wrestler ever. Awesome Kong comes out in street clothes. She talks about how Gail is loved and respected by everyone. Dixie Carter comes out and says Gail is the perfect combination of beauty, brains, and athleticism, and she's so, so selfless. Gail comes out, we get a video package showcasing her as the first Knockouts champion, her feud with Kong, her feud with Taryn. We hear words from Madison Rain, Christy Hemi, Josh Matthews, Pat Kenny, Mia Yim, Al Snow, Dave Lagana, and even TNA president, Billy Corgan, who really puts over how great women's wrestling can be. Billy, what changed in the last six years? I don't know. The video package highlights with tons of stats about Gail's illustrious career and basically concludes, rightfully so, it, honestly, that she's the greatest women's wrestler of her generation. Maybe there's two or three other names in that you put in that mix. Maybe you put Trish in that mix. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Sarah Del Rey, if you're really talking about the indies. But it's a, it's, it's a short list when you're talking about the greatest women's wrestler of the early 2000s. And that night, the night she's inducted in the Hall of Fame, an hour or two later, Gail defeats Maria to win the Knockouts Championship for a sixth time, tying the record held by Angelina Love. Unfortunately, a month later, she has to vacate the title due to a back injury, and Gail's out of action again for 10 months. When she does return, July of 2017, she announces that she will be retiring at the end of the year. It's July 2017, she says, I've only got a couple months left in my career. Let's make this go. August at Destination X. She does not win the knockouts title against Allison Kay because Taryn Terrell shows up and screws her once again. Everything she said the Hall of Fame lies, I guess, lies. But that November at Bound for Glory, Kim defeats Allison Kay and Allie in a three-way to win the knockouts championship for a record-setting seventh time a week and a half later on impact television kim announces that that's enough for her she is retiring from in-ring competition she's vacating the title at seven reigns gail holds the record for most knockouts championship reigns at 711 days as champion she holds the record for most days as champion and she was the first knockouts champion ever a month after retiring, Gail wrestles one more match in her hometown of Toronto against Allie, another Torontonian, for Smash Wrestling. Two weeks later, she faces Britt Baker in a high school gym in Oklahoma. Okay. And February of 2018, she wrestles Casey Owens in England in what is, again, claimed will be her final, final match. After this, she goes back to Impact and she starts working as a producer and an agent. Everything is hunky-dory for 2018, temporarily. November 2018, it is Tessa Blanchard versus Tyre Valkyrie for the Knockouts title. Tessa retains after getting disqualified on purpose. A month later at Homecoming, it's Tessa versus Tyre for the Knockouts title with Kim as special guest referee. And throughout the match, Tessa is really just, just giving him a hard time. She's instigating her. She's picking on her. She's blitting her. Finally, Kim snaps, nails Tessa with eat defeat, 
and Taya wins the knockouts title. Through the spring of 2019, Gail and Tessa continue to attack each other everywhere. In the arena, backstage, even at Gail's husband's restaurant. And this builds to Impact Rebellion. April 28th, 2019, Gail Kim versus Tessa Blanchard. It is in Gail's hometown of Toronto. It's Gail's first match in 14 months. And they really build this as like passing of the torch, like one generation versus the next generation. One of the most beloved women in wrestling versus one of the most reviled. Okay, they don't say that, but we know what we know about Tessa now. And yeah, I, I think that's fair. <laughs> and Gail looks great here. She hasn't wrestled over a year, but she's so quick. She's so fluid. She does all her greatest hits, the hurricane run to the octopus, the ring post figure four, but it's not a greatest hits match. You know, she's not just doing a paint by numbers, going through her numbers. Like, this is a good match. She has a twisting crossbody. Tessa, at one point, slams her off the stage to the floor below. Kim manages to roll back in at nine. She has eat defeat, but Blanchard kicks out. Tessa bites her arm and gives her military press off the top rope. She has a diving code breaker, but Kim kicks out. And in 13 minutes, she locks on a submission move, which the commentary team doesn't even call. They don't even know what to call it. It's some sort of head-based submission move. Gail taps out. Tessa wins. Post-match, Tessa offers her handshake. They hug. I think this is the start of Tessa's babyface turn before she starts feuding with Sammy Callahan for the world title. doesn't matter. We don't like Tessa anymore. We don't care. She leaves. The Toronto crowd showers Gail with thank you, Gail, chants. Kim poses to the crowd. And three and a half years later, this is to date her final match. Will she ever wrestle again? Who knows? It looks like if this match is any indication, I'm sure she could. I'm sure she could bust out a great match anytime. And I would love to see her wrestle another match next year. If only so that her final match in the history books isn't against, against Tessa. But for the time being, this is her final match in April of 2019. She's still a producer, an agent, co-head of Talent Relations for Impact. She works on the creative team. March of 2020, she also announced, along with Lita and Christy Hemi, a new TV series that would blend scripted drama with pro wrestling called Kayfabe. That was two and a half years ago. There's been really no information about it since. It's hard to say how much of that project was affected by COVID, like how much was hindered or held back or how much they're trying to play catch up now. The only update I could find was from August of this year with Christy Hemi saying they have a few things they're working on that they can't talk about. Um, it doesn't really matter until they can show something and present it. It's coming. So we'll see. I mean, that sounds very promising with those three women involved. In the end, I will leave you with this quote from Gail Kim, where she says, a lot of people ask me, what are some of my favorite moments in my career? Of course, nights like winning the first knockouts championship is one of them. But if you think about the whole picture, the thing that makes me most proud is fighting for that women's division and it actually happening. It wasn't overnight. It took a lot of begging and pleading to wrestle for that to happen and for it to become successful. That was a dream come true.
Thank you so much for listening to me talk for, oh God, I don't even know, was that an hour and a half? It was a long one. I'm sorry. She had a great career, Gail Kim. And she continues to make great women's wrestling happen in TNA. Sorry, in Impact (laughs) these days. As always, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at GritGlitterPod. If you want to support us as well, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash GritGlitterPod. For just $5 a month, you get a weekly newsletter written by different members of the Glitterati. You get old episodes of Grit and Glitter from our very first season. You get our bonus Patreon podcast, Women's Wrestling Entertainment, where we trace the history of women in the WWE. Thank you to everybody who supported us this month in November. Alex E., Nancy Todd, Chad Boykin, John Armstrong, Aaron Carlisle, Evan Minsker, Lars Brown, Jason Norris, and the Wrestling Mayhem Show. I started this podcast all alone because Em lost her voice, and I fear I may end this podcast losing my voice as well. One last thing. Next week, here on this podcast, it is our annual Match of the Year specialist. A ton of our friends are going to be checking in with you to shout out their favorite women's wrestling matches from this year. Oh, and by the way, um, Thursday is December 1st, and that means that voting is opening for the 2022 Glitter Bombs, our fourth annual year-end awards honoring the best wrestling from wrestlers of marginalized genders. Find that link on Twitter, on Instagram. Vote, vote, vote. This Thursday, you determine who walks away with the 2022 Glitter Bombs.